congregation this evening, this afternoon, we've come to Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 27. And we'll also read in connection with that, Cans of Dort, chapter one, article 17. But we begin with Lord's Day 27, where we confess from the word of God the following. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? Speaking then of holy baptism. No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the old covenant by circumcision in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant. So far, our confession of the uh, holy baptism. Let's turn to uh, Canons of Dort, chapter one, article 17, and that's on page 562 in the Book of Praise. Page 562. Article 17, and there we confess the following children of unbelievers who die in infancy, we must judge concerning the will of God from his word, which declares that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but in virtue of the covenant of grace in which they are included with their parents. Therefore, God-fearing parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God calls out of this life in their infancy. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, and as we heard, that includes also the boys and girls. This afternoon, I, I, I want to concentrate again on question and answer 74 of Lord's Day 27. Should infants too be baptized? I could, I could put that question in a different way. Do the children here the, the children of the parents of the congregation here, the little children, do they belong to the covenant and to this church? J.I. Packer, in his book, Concise Theology, and he, it's worth reading this book, Concise Theology by J.I. Packer. He, he discusses the matter of infant baptism. He defends infant baptism. And at the end of his defense, he writes that the whole debate about infant baptism comes down to a single issue. How does God 
define his church. In other words, who belongs to the church of God? Believing adults only, as Baptists claim, or believing adults as well as their children, as we confess? Do the children of believers also belong to God's covenant and church in the New Testament? You see, that, that's basically what the, the issue is. Do the kids here belong to this church? And with that issue in mind, I preach to you this afternoon that children also belong to God's covenant and congregation. We see the biblical basis for that in the first place, and secondly, the biblical comfort in that. First of all, the biblical basis. Baptists, as you may know, and Pentecostals and all those who consider themselves Baptists, they restrict the covenant and church to those only who can give a full testimony of their faith. As Reformed people, though, we include the children and those also who are disabled and can't profess their faith. They belong to the covenant and church of God together with their parents. And there's a good, good biblical basis for that. In the Old Testament, the Lord included children descendants in the covenant together with the parents. We read that in Genesis 17. Um, he confirmed the covenant of grace with Abraham. He makes that relationship with Abraham and promises to be Abraham's God. I will be your God. And notice it's God who initiates the covenant. Abraham didn't ask for it. No, God came to him. God went to him and called him out of Ur and told him he was going to be his God. That covenant relationship, in other words, was established completely out of grace by God. He picked Abraham out of all people. He initiates it. He comes first with his promises, even to Abraham already. And then there are obligations for Abraham, but so it has to be a two-way thing ultimately, but initially it comes from God in his grace. And when God establishes that covenant relationship with Abraham, notice he doesn't just make it with Abraham as an individual. He establishes that covenant with Abraham and his house and even his descendants after him throughout all their generations. The promise of God's blessing and salvation then don't just apply to Abraham, but also to Sarah, to their children, to their grandchildren, and so on. Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, the 12 sons of Jacob, eventually the whole nation of Israel, and the whole nation of Israel, children as well as adults, are included in the covenant then. And that's why the Apostle Paul talks about them all being baptized in the Red Sea together men, women, and children pass through the Red Sea. 
And so at Mount Sinai, that whole nation, adults and children together, they all stood before the Lord and he said to them all, you are my own possession among all peoples, my own people, a holy nation. And that included the babies in their mother's arms. And even the unborn ones. Don't forget after all that when God made his covenant with Abraham, God commanded Abraham as well as his descendants to be circumcised as sign and seal of the covenant. Ishmael was circumcised and then Isaac was miraculously born to Sarah in her old age. He was also circumcised when he was eight days old. Every male child of Abraham, every male child in Israel had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And that method of including the little children in the covenant continues all the way through the Old Testament. It runs like a thread through the whole Old Testament. The children don't choose God, God chooses them. They're born into the covenant with all its promises and obligations. And that's why God is also upset in the book of Ezekiel when he says, you have offered up my children to other gods. My children, he says, they're his. So the children are born into the covenant with all its promises and obligations, as it says in our form for the baptism of infants, just as they share without their knowledge in the sin of Adam, so are they without their knowledge received into grace in Christ. In the Old Testament, then, the children were definitely included in the covenant and congregation of God. There's no denying that. But now, a Baptist will tell you that's all fine and good. That's the Old Testament. That's all Old Testament stuff. It's not the same in the New Testament. Where do you find, things have changed here. Where do you find in the New Testament that the children of believers belong in the covenant and congregation of God? And that infants ought to be baptized then. We could ask the opposite question. We could ask then of the Baptist, where does it say in the New Testament that God has now changed the way he administers his covenant? And that it doesn't go to, that, that the children are not included in it. See, nowhere in the New Testament do we read that God decided that the children were no longer included in the covenant and church. It says nowhere in the New Testament that now God has changed his way of administration of the covenant. In fact, the New Testament assumes that things will simply continue in the New Testament church as they had in the Old Testament church. Take Matthew 19, for instance, where we're told how the parents brought their children to Jesus so that he might bless them, you know brought them to him in their arms. It's infants that they brought to him. The disciples tried to chase those parents away with their babies. The Lord Jesus is not interested in little kids. They reason. He doesn't have time to lay his holy hands on a bunch of kids. They don't belong. They figured so they rebuked those parents. But then Jesus rebukes the disciples instead. And he says in Matthew 19, verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, 
closely to what the Savior says there. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven will belong to such as these when they grow up and may be accepted. No, he uses the present tense of such is the kingdom of heaven. It means they belong, it belongs to them now while they're children yet. And notice, too, that the Lord Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of heaven belongs to these particular children. He says, no, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He's talking about all the children of parents who seek their blessings from Jesus Christ in general. The kingdom belongs to those children. And that's why the Lord also blessed those children. See, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, no hint here at all that the Lord Jesus now was going to change the way of administration of the covenant, and now there was no place for the, for the, the children in his covenant and church. The opposite is the case. When the disciples want to include the children, the Lord includes them in his covenant and church. The disciples thought it should go different. But the Lord Jesus says, no, 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 no. They're included. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he blesses them. They're included in the covenant with their parents like in the Old Testament. And you see that line of the covenant with believers and their children. You see it just continued in the New Testament. It's, it's assumed. You see it at Pentecost in Jerusalem, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the church, people from all over the world in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, Jews as well as proselytes, people who are on their way to becoming Jews from other nations. And, and what does Peter say to those people when they ask him after his Pentecost sermon, what are we to do? Then Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, and receive the Holy Spirit. And then he adds onto that yet, Acts 2.39, for the promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise of the Holy Spirit isn't just for the parents. The children are included. And remember that Peter wasn't just talking here to Jews who were born and raised Jews. No, he was talking to the people from all kinds of nations who believed in the God of Israel. Their children also included also, people from other nations would be included in this covenant and church of God in the New Testament era. That was different. Now it wasn't just Israel, people from all nations. The Lord broadens his covenant. Abram was to be a blessing to all nations. People from other nations could now be grafted into the covenant. So what changes is that people of other nationalities become part of the covenant of grace too. And that change is clearly described in the Bible. But nowhere does it say that now children are not included as part and parcel of the church and covenant anymore. No, in that regard, things go on as they did in the Old Testament. Continuity. And you see that in the rest of the book of Acts. We're not told whether Paul baptized anyone on his first missionary tour with Barnabas. However, after that first missionary journey, the problem of whether Christians had to be circumcised or not was raised. The people from other nations, when they became, became believers, should they be circumcised? The apostles and elders had a, had a synod about that. You can read about that in Acts 15. 
They had a gathering in Jerusalem, and it was decided there. James, the brother of the Lord, was the chairman. It was decided that circumcision should not be required of converted Gentiles. And what that is, implies is that the apostles considered baptism is now, from now on, baptism is sufficient. And what we see then is a progressing development of understanding. Baptism was recognized then as the sacrament which replaced circumcision. Circumcision was put aside. And so when Paul sets out on his second missionary journey after Acts 15, he does baptize. We see him baptizing in, in the book of Acts. We mentioned this morning, first Lydia in Philippi together with her household too. And then the Philippian jailer is baptized together with his family. And later on in Corinth, we're told that Crispus, leader of the synagogue in Corinth, is baptized with his household. And also in Corinth, we're told, 1 Corinthians 1, Stephanus, a man called Stephanus and his household are baptized. Every time the convert is baptized on Paul's second missionary journey, it takes place with his or her household or family. And that's very telling that that's mentioned every time. It's not specifically mentioned that there were children in those households or those families, but we'd be stretching things pretty much if we had to assume that there were no children among those five households mentioned in which Paul baptized those five families, because that's what the term household means throughout the Bible, a standard covenantal term originating in the Old Testament, and it says near the end of Genesis 17 that Abram and all the males of his house, his household, were circumcised. They all received the sign and seal of God's promises. Also young Ishmael and later Isaac at eight days old. So in the New Testament, no change. Children included with their parents. Baptized when their parents came to faith, their children were included. The first generation whom the Lord called out of other nations to faith were baptized upon profession of faith, and then the children were included in the covenant and church with their parents, and they also received the sign and seal of the covenant, baptism, Lydia, the jailer in Acts 16, converts in Papua New Guinea and Brazil, baptized with their children, with their households, even if only one parent comes to faith yet. That's how Paul writes 1 Corinthians 7, 14, where he says that when one parent in a family becomes a believer and the other does not, the children are still holy, sanctified in Christ. In other words, they're set apart as God's children through that believing parent. They're covenant children. They ought to receive baptism. Now, a baptism might still have an objection and still say, well, wait a minute. Can you really show that baptism replaced circumcision as the sign and seal of the covenant to children? Well, yes. We mentioned already that synod, Acts 15. But it's also what we confess at the end of the answer 74 of, the Lord's, of Lord's Day 27. We state there that in the old covenant, children were grafted into the church by circumcision in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant. In other words, same covenant members, believers and their children in the new covenant as in the old. But after Christ's death, 
different sign and seal of the covenant, baptism instead of circumcision. And you see that development in Colossians 2. There were people in the church at Colossae who insisted that people who came to faith there and were then baptized needed something additional to that. There were people trying to reintroduce some Old Testament laws of Moses again as requirement to be Christians, special holy days, special clean foods only, kosher, and of course, circumcision. And only then could you be a Christian. But that's why the, exactly why the Apostle Paul wrote that letter to the Colossians, which we read from, to warn the church not to bring back what had been fulfilled by Christ in the law of Moses. And then in chapter 2, he instructs and comforts the believers in Colossae in that section we read, and he says to them, look, you don't need to be circumcised to signify you belong to the covenant in church, to signify you're a Christian. You've already been circumcised in Christ. When you were baptized, the same thing happened to you as in Old Testament circumcision. What that represented, baptism means that atoning blood has flowed on the cross, and you've been washed with that blood. That's what the words of Paul in Colossians 2 come down to. So Paul shows that baptism into Christ has replaced Old Testament circumcision. So our conclusion, congregation, has to be from what the Bible says, that the children of believers must be baptized since they too belong to God's covenant and congregation. They belong, they belong here. They're part and parcel of the church here, the children. They belong to Jesus Christ, the little ones in the babysit, also the mentally disabled, not able to profess faith. All belong to the covenant and congregation fully. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Also the boys and girls here in the pews with their parents. You belong here, boys and girls. You belong to this church fully. Everything that's said and done here in church applies to you, boys and girls. God made you his own when you didn't even know it. What you need to do, though, boys and girls, is believe what is promised to you at your baptism. Believe that Jesus washes away all your sins and will give you eternal life. And then you'll receive what's promised you. Everything. You'll receive it all. It's promised just as much as to any adult. Promised to you. We come to the second point of the sermon, the biblical comfort in the children being included in God's covenant and congregation. Brothers and sisters, that includes, again, boys and girls. You might wonder yet whether it really makes all that much difference whether children belong to God's covenant and congregation here or not. You know, there's a lot of people today, too, they say this whole, whole issue of infant or adult-only baptism is a, is a tempest in a teapot. We like it this way, Baptists do it a different way. Is it really all that, that relevant for today or tomorrow, whether the children also belong to God's covenant and congregation and have the same promises of forgiveness and eternal life as the adults? Does it make any difference in the end? It certainly is important, and it's relevant whether our children are also included 
in the people of God and whether they also received the certification of God's love for them in baptism. This involves your comfort and assurance as congregation, parents, boys and girls too. Just over a year ago, think of just a while ago, they remembered it, that, that 20 primary students were shot to death at an elementary school in Sandy Hook in the United States. Children between, of the ages, you know, where they were in grade one to four, 20 of them shot to, to, and killed, along with six teachers, but the children, parents, realize, especially then, you know, when you think about something like that, that you can give your child a lunch and, and pack their homework in with them in the bag and send them off to school, but you might never see them again. They might not come home alive again. Parents here, what if that happened to one of your young children? What if? It would be awful. You'd be overwhelmed with grief, I'm sure. Some parents have experienced the loss of a child like that. Where would you seek your comfort? Where would you seek your comfort? How would you ever come to peace again? How would you come to peace with God over that? Let me give you another example. It's a known fact that in China today, they have a population control program enforced by law. Couples are required to apply for a permit to have a child. And then also now, just recently, a second child if the government approves. If a woman expects a child without government authorization, especially if there's already a child or, or two children, she'll be told, you have to undergo an abortion no matter how late the term. And if she's unwilling, she will be taken by force. The police come to her house, taken by force to an abortuary to have the child killed in the womb. Can you imagine being a Christian couple living in China today? You might be denied permission to have a second child, maybe. What if there's a pregnancy anyway? And then the government officials find out about it. You'd be forced to have an abortion. Imagine if that would happen to you. Where would you find comfort afterwards? How would you come to peace with that in time if that child was taken away? Or what if you had to deal with stillbirth? That happens too. A child dies in the womb. What if you have a mentally disabled child who needs to be taken care of their lifelong, will never be able to profess faith in God? Where is the comfort you can go back to every day again as you deal with that disabled child? See, it's, it's important to know the status of our children before God. It's so important to be able to say 
that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It's important to know that for sure that they are covenant children who have the sure promises of forgiveness of sins and everlasting life through the washing with Christ's blood. That's important for believing parents. Unbelieving parents might, well, they will think it's not important, but for believing parents, it's crucial because that alone can give them comfort, stability under those circumstances. And yes, they will grieve, but not as those who have no hope. We read from the Canons of Dort, chapter 1, article 17, and there's a reference there to that text we mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 7, 14, which is about the children of even one believing parent being holy. And we confess in that article, we must judge concerning the will of God from his word, which declares that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but in virtue of the covenant of grace. And then follows what that means in a practical sense. It says, therefore... God-fearing parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God calls out of this life in their infancy. You see, when the canons of Dort were written back in the, in the 1600s, a lot of children died in infancy. Infant mortality was extremely high. And that fact moved those men at the Synod of Dort to also include that Article 17 in the Canons of Dort. It was happening all around. And it shows what a great and deep comfort there is for parents, for believing parents, when something happens to their children. When the children of believers grow up, they receive what is promised them in the covenant by way of faith in those promises. Then a response is necessary. The Lord expects a response. We saw that with Lord's Day 26. Use their baptism. There's no automatism here. But if the Lord in his wisdom takes covenant children out of this life before they can know and profess their faith in the promises of God, then in their sorrow, those parents may also say with certainty based on the word of God, our child is with the Lord in glory. The Lord has given our child everything he promised in Christ. They have it. The kingdom of God belongs to them. Oh, it's, it's incredibly hard to have to bring a child to the grave. But if we have to do that, or have done that as believing parents, and as some have here, then we can know with certainty that since that child was taken out of this life before they could respond to the promises of the covenant, taken out of this life by God, then all those promises are fulfilled for that child. That's an incredible comfort for those parents. Also comfort... Uh, for parents, for, for Christian parents, for instance, in, in China, whose unborn children are forcefully aborted. Also, sure comfort for believing couples who experience stillbirth or miscarriage. Those children don't receive the sign and seal of belonging to God's covenant and congregation, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they were included 
Baptism is just a sign and seal of it. They were included too. And that gives wonderful comfort then. Also lasting comfort for parents who have mentally handicapped children. Also adult children. They belong. They belong to the church and the covenant. And they have the full right to all the rich promises of God. Even though they can't understand it. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. We can't say anything about the children of unbelievers. That's always the question, right? What about the children of unbelievers? Well, the unbelievers are not looking for that comfort we have. And then God is just and merciful. That's all we can say. But believing parents may not doubt. They don't have to doubt that children who are taken from this life before they can believe share in all the riches obtained by Christ and promised in the covenant. The full treasures of the kingdom of heaven are theirs. But there's also comfort here for parents of children who are still alive and well, who you have to look after every day again, believing parents in all the struggles of raising their children, also the struggles with their own weaknesses and shortcomings as parents. They may know that their children are children of promise too. They don't have to try to convert their, their children as if they were heathens. No, their, their children have the promises of God. Their children are also promised the Holy Spirit who works faith. And so believing parents in all their struggles and concerns in connection with raising their children, they can know that they don't stand alone. In raising and guiding their children, they can pray for the help of the Holy Spirit, who is also promised to their children. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of their children. And their children have a Father in heaven who has certified his love for them. And though the children may be out of sight of the parents during the daytime, off to school maybe, those children are never out of sight of God, their Father in heaven. He's faithful, and that's a great comfort of the covenant, too. And finally, there's also comfort in belonging to the covenant and church of God for the boys and girls and the young people here. Young people, boys and girls, too, you, you belong. You're fully, as we mentioned before, part of God's covenant and congregation. You're not second or third class members here in church. You have the promises of God as much as any adult does here. And maybe, boys and girls, you worry about things. Hey, young people have quite a few worries nowadays, right? Worries maybe about what others think of you. What do, what do they think of me? Well, remember who you are before God. There's no doubt what your Father in Heaven thinks about you. He said He loved you at your baptism. He gave His Son for you. He wants to work in you with his Holy Spirit. He loves you more than you can know. All he wants for you is to love him too. And if you know that, then it's not so all important what others think of you either, is it? Helps you deal with that. And if you're afraid about the future, boys and girls, you know, you can have nightmares. What, what will the future be like? You can be afraid of that. Remember, you belong to your almighty Father in heaven who loves you and he has promised to withhold 
all evil for, from you, or if you experience evil, he has promised that he's going to turn that to your good. Why should you then be afraid? And if you've fallen into sin and you feel guilty, unclean, you know, that can happen too. Know then that you have a Savior who has promised he'll wash away all your sins so that you're white as snow when you bring them to his cross. He's promised that. Bring him there. See what a, what a great comfort we have in confessing from the Bible that children as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. You know, if you, if you would deny that, you'd be giving up an immense comfort. I don't have to judge the eternal destiny of Baptists here, whether they're going to heaven or hell. That's not the point here. That's not the point. The point is that in denying that children belong to the covenant and congregation, they lose an awful lot of the comfort which the Bible has to offer to believers. But in confessing Lord's Day 27, we find immense comfort in the middle of all the struggles and the sorrows of life. As parents, also as children. Amen.